0: invite you to take your Bibles this morning. We're going to be reading out of 2 Timothy, chapters 1 and chapter 3. We're continuing to look at some of the women of the New Testament. And this morning we have two women who I believe are and were saints for the young Timothy, who was the young colleague of the Apostle Paul in many of his missionary work. We begin in chapter 1 with verse 1, we're going to meet uh, two women, a mother and a grandmother, who have profoundly influenced and shaped and formed Timothy in many ways, but certainly in his spiritual life. Verse 1 of chapter 1 of 2 Timothy. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of life, that is in christ jesus to timothy my dear son grace mercy and peace from god the father and christ jesus our lord i thank god whom i serve as my forefathers did with a clear conscience as night and day i constantly remember you in my prayers recalling your tears I long to see you, so that I may be filled with joy. I have been reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which The gift of god let me find that i lost it which is in you through the laying on of my hands then over in chapter 3 beginning with verse 14 paul is still speaking to timothy but as for you continue in what you have learned and have believed and and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you have learned it now he's speaking of Grandmother Lois and Mother Eunice, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures. Now, Paul is speaking here of the Hebrew Scriptures, what we would call our Old Testament, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Sisters and brothers in Christ, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, one of my fam- favorite theologians of all times is Dennis the Menace. <clears throat> you know who Dennis the Menace is. And Dennis is hovering over the table on which sets the telephone. And his feet and knees are collapsed beneath him. And he's got the phone in his hand and he's talking to his buddy, Joey. And he says to Joey, can I call you back in just a moment? My mom and dad are having an argument about whose fault I am. (laughs) Have any of you parents ever had any fights about whose fault your child is through the years? That comic strip kind of reminds me a little bit of the time when Leslie and I were sitting in Wake Chapel on the campus of Wake Forest University. It was the year of 2001 it was august and we were sitting there attending parents orientation we were listening to then wake forest president thomas k hearns address over 900 parents and freshman students there in wake chapel dr hearns told the story of the time in the history of then wake forest college when William Lewis Petit was the president of Wake Forest College. It seems that a mother had written Dr. Petit about an incident involving her son on campus. And the mother felt very strongly that the college had made a fool out of her son in the process of disciplining him. So Dr. Petit wrote back to the mother and he said to her in part, That the college had not nor never would make a fool out of anyone, but merely sought to bring out of the boy what was already there in the first place. (laughs) You know, it's not easy being a parent, is it? It's not easy being a child, for that matter. But it's not easy being a parent. And you know when parents do well in the parenting responsibility, usually I've noticed it's not because the parenting was done accidentally, but it was because the parenting was done intentionally and with purpose and with focus. Paul, in this text, credits Timothy's grandmother, Lois, and Timothy's mother, Eunice, for what Paul terms his sincere faith. No accidental parenting going on here, is it? It happened because there was focus and there was purpose. Now, I want you to notice in the text that Paul doesn't credit the church. He doesn't credit the church for this non-accidental parenting. He gives full credit to Timothy's home, to his grandmother Lois, his mother Eunice, Now, you know, I've noticed most parents want to leave a legacy for their children. They want to leave an inheritance for their child or children. But I think all of us understand that what's going to last for eternity is not going to be the financial inheritance or the material possessions that are left behind. What's going to last for the child is not going to be the athletic or the academic or the professional or the social legacy. It's going to be the spiritual legacy that ultimately lasts for eternity for our children. So you can understand why one of the saddest things that I have to watch on occasion are children whose parents largely have ignored their spiritual formation and their development for years and years and years. And finally, when they get into perhaps their late elementary years or their middle school or even their high school years, suddenly they show up and they bring their child to church in an effort to save the child. And in some ways, they kind of dump them on the religious professionals and the other volunteers. And in essence, they kind of say, beneath the surface, they don't say it overtly, explicitly, but the message is, fix my child. I've kind of ignored the spiritual responsibility for all these years. I hope you can do something with my child. And the fact is, if indeed that child finds faith Usually they don't find it because of the parent or parents. They find faith in spite of the parents. And I find that sad. I find it tragic. You see, faith in Jesus usually doesn't happen accidentally. Doesn't happen accidentally. It happens best, I think, ultimately. When the home and the church, the faith community together, form a partnership. Now let's keep in mind the faith community, the church, albeit imperfect, we've got to do our parts. We have to do our part to offer and be those good role models of faith and we have to teach faith. So we need men and we need women who love preschoolers and who love elementary children. And who love middle school and high school and even college students. We especially, I think, need men. We need men teaching preschoolers. We don't need to have a child get all the way up to middle school before they see a male in a classroom teaching them something. We need men who are willing to step up and be those role models and teach this, the truth of God's word to our children and. Men, let's be honest, not, not all of us, but a lot of men, we've relegated, delegated the spiritual responsibility in the home at times and in the church to the women. And I don't believe that's God-honoring. So the church, albeit we're imperfect, we got to do our part. And you know, families, although we families are imperfect We've got to do our part as well. And by the way, if you've ever found a perfect family, let me show that family to me. I want to see that family. There's no perfect family. You might be surprised to learn that Timothy's family is not the ideal perfect family. If you go over to Acts chapter 16, we learn a little bit more about Timothy's family. You see... Timothy's mother, Eunice, apparently is, has converted to Judaism at some point. Her mother, Lois, is Jewish. And then at some point, they get introduced to Jesus. So they convert and become Christians. Which leads, undoubtedly, to Timothy's conversion, being raised up, knowing Jesus as Lord and Savior. But Timothy's family is not the perfect ideal family because if you read Acts chapter 16, it tells us that Timothy's father is Greek. He's not Jewish. He's not Christian. We don't even know if he's got faith. So, spiritually speaking, we've got a mixed marriage. And a lot of people, you know, have wondered well, why is it that Timothy was not raised up? fully Jewish because you see if you read in Acts chapter 16 it tells us that Timothy has not been circumcised as most Jewish boys are at birth why was that why is that the case well you see circumcision some of those raising up of the Jewish child and certainly the male child is the responsibility of the father and Timothy's father is Greek he's not Jewish in fact, a lot of people have even said, why in the world would Eunice, being Jewish, marry a non-Jewish person? Was she not taking her faith seriously? And I don't think we can say that. You know, it it wasn't that, that Eunice had not found faith and wasn't taking it seriously. The fact is, what happened to Eunice is what happens to a lot of us. It's not that we haven't found faith. It's just we've fallen in love. And you can't help who you love, who you fall in love with, can you? You, you know, I, I didn't sit there with my wife Leslie and say, well, you know, she meets all the checklist of everything I'm looking for, certain height, certain certain look, certain academic, athletic ability. Everything checks off. I, I, di- I didn't go through it in my mind. Logically, everything checks off. No, the fact is, she stole my heart. And your spouse stole your heart. You, you fell in love. Eunice fell in love. And it may well have been that Timothy's father was not involved. You know, maybe, maybe he had a hands-off approach. Maybe he had wanted nothing to do with Judaism or with God. Maybe he was agnostic or atheist. We don't know. At some point, it could well have been that, Tim, because Paul doesn't mention Timothy's father here in this Second Timothy text, it could be that Timothy's father has died. So Eunice is now a widow. She is a single mom. But look, she and her mother, Timothy's grandmother, Lois, they did something right. Paul talks about how Timothy got taught the sacred scriptures from infancy, They modeled faith, and at some point when they were introduced to Jesus, Lois and Eunice, they introduced Timothy to Jesus. Let's give them credit. They did something right, but understand this. There's no perfect family. There's no ideal family. So Eunice and Lois did the best they could, and they did some things right, obviously, with Timothy. You know, most of us, as children when we were children or teenagers we probably were not mature enough to make certain life choices I know I wasn't and I think that's the case when it comes to church I'm not sure our children are mature enough when they're late elementary middle school or even high school to make a choice about faith I know the philosophy my parents was as long as they were footing some or all of the bills they got a choice they got to say so in what happened to me. So if I'd come to my parents when I was in middle school or high school, said, Mom and Dad, you know, I think I'm going to drop out of school, they would have just given me this smile like, yeah, right, and then a quick, swift, no, move on, go to school, study. I mean, it wasn't even an arguable kind of discussion. I remember there were times with my children when they didn't want to go to the doctor. They didn't want to go to the dentist when they were sick. But you see, my job was to ensure that their physical health was taken care of, whether they wanted it or not. Now, at this point, they want to let their teeth rot it right out, out. It's on their tab, not mine. But when they were in my home, I had that responsibility. And I think moms and dads have the responsibility of taking care of their children's spiritual health as well to make sure that that we are teaching, that we are modeling to our children what it means to come to know Jesus and that we also utilize the gifts and the time and the energies of other caring Christian men and women and we partner with them to raise our children up in faith. Some of you have heard me say this before. I know Michael McKnight always remembers when I say this. It always catches his ear. But one of the worst mistakes I ever made growing up was quitting piano in the sixth grade. Michael likes to hear me say that. I don't think he likes the fact that I quit, but he likes the acknowledgement that it's good to stick with music. And I quit piano after four years in the sixth grade. And the reason I quit is because I'd rather been out playing football after school, I didn't like to have to practice every week, and I just got so tired of Mrs. Kreiner's theory sheets. Where, where's Elisa, Lisa, do you make your students do theory sheets? She's shaking her head, you are a bad, bad, bad <laughs> music teacher. Actually, Elisa's a great music teacher because she taught my daughter for 12 years, and she's an outstanding music teacher. But Mrs. Kreiner made me do the theory sheets and practice, and and her husband was the uh, head of the music department at Peace College, and so she was just as intense and you know on it as he was and wanted me to be a good pianist, and I just regret to this day begging my parents to let me quit and they caved in and I wish they had not in fact I'm going to call my mom up this afternoon and tell her that very thing (laughs) not only Elisa bad bad teacher but bad bad mama you let me quit piano why'd you do that you know a lot of parents have told me through the years that one of their biggest regrets is that they caved into to their children when it came to church and faith and let it be their choice and would you believe that i've equally had a lot of grown adult children tell me that they still resent the fact that mama and daddy never did devotions in the home with them, never told them about their own faith in Jesus, never was really intentional about church and faith and teaching scripture to them. And they feel a little resentful about that even today. Would you believe that? That's sad. Parents, let me just tell you, grandparents, got a lot of grandparents in this room. I'm not going to let you off the hook either. One of the greatest joys... That any parent or grandparent can have is to talk with your child or your grandchild about your faith in Jesus and what it means tell them your favorite scriptures tell them about the time when you when your heart was first began to feel the movement of the Holy Spirit and you felt drawn to want to confess Jesus as Lord and Savior you need to tell them your story of how you were baptized growing up in church. They need to hear the story, and there's no greater joy in leading your own child or grandchild, niece or nephew, someone you're teaching in Sunday school or wherever. No greater joy than to lead that person to come to know Jesus. You know, we we teach our children about all sorts of things, don't we? We teach them about manners. We teach them about math. They have trouble with the math homework. We teach them about music. We teach them about Proper medical care, we teach them about meaningful relationships and how to cultivate them. Why are we so hesitant to teach and to share what Jesus means to us, parents and grandparents? Why do we hesitate to share those spiritual values and experiences in our own lives? I just want you to know how much I appreciate those of you who do partner with those who are in the home. Parents in raising our children here at Oakmont in the life of faith. You know, in this text, Paul calls Timothy, my dear son. And it suggests that Paul's played a nurturing role in his life. So I want you to know how much I appreciate those people who nurtured my life outside of the home, and I appreciate those of you who do that now. I'm grateful for those of you who say yes to teach a preschooler. Elementary child, middle school, high school, or college student, Sunday school, missions, music, vacation Bible school. You go on a mission trip with them. You go to summer camp with them. You go on a retreat with them. You're there on Wednesday nights when we have activities for children and youth. Sunday night, Sunday morning, you're there to model and teach them what it means to know Jesus. And Oakmont congregation, I I just want you to know that you don't have anything to worry about with our children and our youth and the adults that are working with them. They are being taught what it means to know Jesus. They are being taught scriptural truths. I was with our young people this past Sunday night for two hours down at the branches. And let me tell you, they're hearing God's word. Last week they got a great lesson on what it means to pray and to talk to God and to spend some quiet time in silence and solitude with him. They are being taught God's word. You don't need to worry about it one bit. That the adults who are working with our children, they're giving them good stuff. And you don't need to worry. So you see, parenting our children towards Jesus, it doesn't happen accidentally. It happens intentionally by parents, by a multitude of other caring adults in the church and in the community who come together and do this important task that God has assigned us. You know, last night before I went to bed, about an hour before I went to bed, we'd had our front porch lights on and I went to turn those lights out. And right before I hit the switch, I just happened to glance outside the front steps and on either side, You know, we have our shrubs and bushes and so forth, and I looked out, and there were two deer, a mama deer and a baby deer. And I mean, they were enjoying a feast off of our rose bushes. (laughs) I mean, they were going after the petals and the leaves, and and it looked like to me at one point, I mean, I just sat there for about 10 or 15 minutes and watched, watched them, I mean, they were literally within two or three yards of the window. I mean, if I could have opened the window, I could have almost reached out and touched one of them. They were that close, and they were just eating, and they were going after the briars off the rose bushes and all sorts of things. It was just amazing to sit there and watch them. And I watched for about 15 minutes, and I went back and did something else, and I snuck back up and looked out again. And you know what those two rascals had done? When I looked out, they were both walking just a few feet in front of the front walkway, and the baby deer laid down, and then the mama deer laid down on the front yard. And mama was back three or four feet here, and baby deer was up five or six yards over that way. She was behind baby, and her ears were up, radar. And her head was just kind of turning, those ears were up, and she was guarding that baby. So I just sat there and, and looked at them. And so I went back and did something else for another 15, 20 minutes. I came back. They were still laying on the front yard. And while I was watching this time, a neighbor pulled out of a, uh, this was probably 9.30, 10 o'clock, a neighbor pulled out of a driveway across the street and I thought for sure that would scare them off and the headlights shone in our front yard. They just sat there like they owned the place. I walked away for another 15, 20 minutes, came back still in the front yard. And I'm thinking to myself, this is not the Holiday Inn Express. You don't get a free night in my yard. What are you doing just sitting in my yard? And the street lights are on them, and my front porch lights are on them. And finally I said, well, you know, it's time to go to bed. And I know as soon as I turn this light out, that's really going to scare them. So I turned the light out, looked out, they're just sitting there, not moving a bit. I turned the light back on. Didn't faze them one bit. They're just sitting there like they own the place. And you know, I thought to myself, God has placed in all of his creatures that natural instinct to take care of your baby. That mama deer was back a ways keeping her eye out on her baby. God's put that instinct in all of us. And you know, if our children are going to find faith in Jesus, they're going to find it because there are parents in the home and because there are adults in the church who team up together to care for our babies spiritually. Because you know, we all need to understand that in most cases, When it comes to our children, there is no accidental faith.